welcome. I'm Jean Parker, and you're listening to Discovering How, a podcast of the Ethical Business Building the Future organization. We're a global learning community using our workplaces to build a better future. Today, we're discovering more about the traits of emerging leadership styles. New strategies inspire new questions, like how can we redefine success to embrace the true nature of humanity and challenge the predominant assumption that competition, exclusivity, and individualism are necessary to be successful? What would happen if we moved beyond diversity categories like gender and other underrepresented groups and instead viewed ourselves through a lens of coherence across the range of human identity. As we evolve towards the achievement of the equality of women and other marginalized groups, what questions are not being asked? Wendy Momin is a board member of EBBF and has been involved with the peace and women's movements for over 40 years. Here are her thoughts on these and other vital questions. What is missing in the social construct that makes things like gender bias possible and prevalent? What I think is missing in the present social context is a a lack of understanding that gender equality is a fact, a truth, a verity at the very foundation of civilization. Gender equality has always been Uh, a fact. It's just that we were unable in past ages to operationalize that. These days, we can operationalize it. And that's because we live in an artificially constructed social context, right? Yes, it's artificial in the sense that it's not a natural thing. It's not, it doesn't descend from the ether. It's something that we have as society agreed to do. These are constructs which develop over time through experience, through perhaps religious teaching, uh, through cultural teachings passed on from one to another, and also what works. It's what works for that particular community or the individuals who are in quote-unquote power, those who lead, those who rule, those who have physical might uh, and are able to assert their wishes and will, yes. In many societies, we have defined success in terms of the Individuals, mostly male, who've had power, who've had money, who've had authority, who participate in decision-making. And those are the things um, that naturally women have thought or others have thought to model for women going forward, that those are the things which, which have spelled success. The question being, how can we get past that? And I think this is a question of what is the actual nature of the reality of the human being. Uh, This is a question of identity. So if people identify themselves as more or less powerful, more or less achieving in certain ways in work and so forth, being at the top of things, of being a winner, then that defines the human being in a particular way. This is really about more than gender, isn't it? Gender, perhaps racial bias or disability bias, those kinds of things are symptoms of a larger problem. Yes, I think all of these things are looking at the kinds of things that characterize people on the outside of their bodies, you know, superficially, what they are like. Why is it that diversity trainings and 
uh, awareness trainings and so forth. Why is it those things don't work? Yeah, it's interesting. I've been on a few of those courses myself. And I guess the, the real thing is that it still, it still starts perhaps from the wrong location. It still starts from the idea that somehow the baseline is what other people need to achieve. And that baseline is, you know, male, white, uh, able-bodied, reasonably wealthy, pretty well-educated, and so on. That's the baseline. And everyone has to achieve that. Many countries, maybe even most countries now, have legislation and policies that say things like equal pay for equal work. And, and yet, bias prevails. Why aren't these policies working? In the United Kingdom, we believe it's going to take 85 years for us to gain even gender uh, equality in pay. And this is really a question of political will. It means that the governments have not uh, applied the laws that they have created. Uh, this is now beginning to change, but it's, it's taken draconian action to get it there. And what we haven't perhaps done very successfully is to look at what are the elements and characteristics that each society that our civilization needs that will make it prosperous and just and fair and safe and beautiful and advancing uh, for all people. How, what, would that, what are the elements that are required? And we know what some of them are because they have always existed. Kindness, being generous of spirit to one another, helping each other. Uh, you know, at the neighborhood level, it's a question of being a good neighbor. Um, you know, looking after each other. Those are the kinds of qualities that we should be admiring. And it's true, we need leadership qualities, but we need leadership that is also kind and generous of spirit and thoughtful and draws on the wisdom of the ages and of the spiritual leadership of the world. You know, there's so many qualities that we just seem to overlook as soft, and yet they are at the core, to me, of creating this new civilization, which every human being has a part in. Every single person can have a role. What happens when we bring feminine leadership into directing a movie or leading a work group? How do we ensure that we really hear diverse voices? How do we know when the right level of diversity is present so we can make the best decisions possible? Mary Darling is the co-owner of West Wind Pictures and was the executive producer of the highly successful Canadian TV series Little Mosque on the Prairie. As an executive producer, her responsibility is to facilitate diverse work groups with a wide variety of professional experiences and expectations. This comedy series ran for seven years, which provided Mary with time to experiment with many strategies of management, decision-making, and implementation in a dynamic and complex work environment. Here are just some of her experiences, leading as a woman in a male-dominated industry. As owner or executive producer of any particular project, you're really the person who's running the show. So you're responsible for sometimes creating the content, you're responsible for um, hiring and firing, for determining the creative direction and then deciding 
uh, who might be the line producer. If this was just an ordinary job, it would be the CEO of that organization. In a typical production, especially a larger production like Little Mosque on the Prairie, you end up with a lot of different um, departments and unions that you're working with. So you have a writing department and you have an art department. But like theater, in a way, it's, it's best when you can figure out how to create an environment on set where people really feel like they're contributing to a single vision. So how do you do that? With every crew we bring together, whether it's a small crew for a children's show or for a design show or for a documentary or a larger show, we really try to bring um, this idea of unity and diversity into the conversation. I suppose in a, an executive group, you know, a group who's making decisions that has that many people coming from various backgrounds and perspectives, in those discussions, there must have been times when there was dissent. Did you ever find yourself as, at an impasse? Absolutely. Um, I mean, and, and then as the, as the executive producer, you need to make the final decision. We made it very clear um, as we built this team that we wanted to hear from many voices in order to be as well informed as we could in order to make the best decision we could um, and then really try to begin that difficult process of detachment from our own ideas, um, exploration of other people's ideas, building on to a single idea, you know, to come up with the best choice. How did you know when you had everyone at the table that you needed in order to make the best decisions? Mm. I think because we were always looking for to bring together as many diverse voices as we could or people who would look at things through a diverse lens so that we could understand all the moving parts um, that we knew when too many people thought exactly like us. And so we, we knew that we wanted to hear from other people who had different experiences. How could you tell the difference between if you would reach consensus because the voices were too much alike or when you reach consensus because the voices were coming from different perspectives mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and you could come to consensus through a process of discussion and consultation and exchange of ideas? When you were asking the question, I was thinking about how I had a clearer sense that we were actually consulting at the right depth when I was hearing from women contributors in the room. So often these young women would be the last people to speak um, with such clarity after distilling what had been said. Mm -hmm. And then this voice of truth would just ring through and either confirm or, or dismiss sort of where the consultation was headed. When we really began to focus on consultation and even something as small as bringing writers and actors together to consult about characters and storylines and directions, that's a very tricky thing that's not very often done. So putting groups together who don't normally communicate. Exactly. You know, when you're walking into production, especially as a woman running the show, I think that there's certain assumptions about what it looks like to run a show because most, men are, most shows are run by men. And I think there's even assumptions that as women step into these roles that things will get better. And, and I don't think that's the case at all. I think that we need to have more women behind the camera and have more women directors and executive producers or CEOs or whatever. But I think that it's really figuring out, you know, how we bring these ideas of gender to the table 
um, how we facilitate consultation to make sure everybody, male or female, gets a, a, a voice. Um, and that decisions will be made, you know, in a, in a, just as well as possible in the moment, but with justice, um, trying to hear from others, um, that then things slowly improve. How do you know when you have too many voices mm -hmm. versus enough voices? It's, it's a very difficult thing to know when you have all the right people in the room, though. That's a more difficult question to answer because, um, by adding another voice and often a voice which is more distant, um, you just have different questions asked because when you only have the keys in the room on production, for example, people sort of know how the machine runs. And so what's nice about having somebody who doesn't know how the machine runs, they ask different kinds of questions. So I, I found that to be an important voice in any room. Mm -hmm. Sometimes because we hadn't done a show this large before, sometimes those, that was my voice just saying, I don't know how this works. Explain it to me like I've never heard this before. So you as the CEO were comfortable admitting that you didn't know something. Yeah, and it's funny because, Jean, we had so many people that said to me in the course, as, because I was a woman, like sort of, don't admit you don't know that. Why would you say that you don't know that? Hmm. So I think having people you can go to at whatever level you're at and not pretend that you're supposed to know everything, like what a burden that is. Um, but instead just to say, okay, explain this to me like I'm like I've never done this before because I haven't I've done these other kinds of productions, but this is my first time You guys who are working for me are way more experienced at this than I am And then when they would say well, that's the way it works. I'd say why does it work that way? Do you think? your style of running this production was different because you're a woman or was it different for other reasons and you just happen to be a woman? Well, I think it's different for a couple of reasons. One is that I'm a Baha'i um, and two is that I'm a woman. So some of the values that I was trying to bring forward and exercise inside of our business structure had to do with underlying values like um, the idea that, um, uh, that there is something called unity and diversity, that we can actually be very diverse but find a unified way forward. Um, just using this production model as an example. The other is, is this idea and notion of um, the equality of women and men in a business which, uh, or an industry that doesn't quite acknowledge that yet. Um, so being a woman on set with certain values, like the value of understanding that, you know, if I can get people to consult together and detach from their idea, that the result of that idea will be better than the best thinker in the, in the room. And then other things were because I was a woman. I happened to have just had a baby. I, was, I had my baby, Hayden, on set with me. And so, yes, here I am. I'm wearing a, I'm, I'm a woman. I'm wearing a dress. I'm sitting at the monitor. I'm nursing my baby. I am most definitely a woman. And what was interesting about that was that I sort of heard through the grapevine um, that some of the crew, female and male, found it kind of unprofessional that I bring my baby to set. And it challenged some of the, those norms, you know, the kind of the norms of the fraternity. Mm -hmm. um, and so I just had to sort of persevere through that year um, and show them that, no, having my baby on set was actually demonstrating a coherent life. I didn't see my life as a woman professional over there or as a creative over there 
or as a mommy over there. It was one thing to me, you know, trying to figure out those ways that, that were definitely part of being a woman. I mean, I remember being under stress. I can't remember what the exact situation was, but it was terrible stress. And I burst into tears. <laughs> one of my coworkers um, said to me, you can't cry. That's not allowed. <laughs> and he was serious, right? <laughs> and he was serious. And I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> it's not allowed. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> so I, I think some of it is just kind of, you're having to be confident in saying, I don't want to be that woman who comes and because I'm expected to kind of act like a man, I'm not going to do that. Was there any particular principle or type of consultation that was the most helpful to you? Well, I think we grew in our ability to consult together. The most successful consultation was when we made very intentional time for it, where we went in and it wasn't just a meeting, like a production meeting, but that we laid out and, um, what it was that we were trying to address or solve. And so I think for us, consultation was most successful when we were able to view it through the lens of something that was much more powerful as opposed to something that just felt like another decision. It wasn't just a production meeting. Uh, we were lucky with Little Mosque on the Prairie to have seven years of really intensive work on it to be able to kind of measure from the beginning to the end. Um, were we able to sort of effectively change the culture of our set. Um, in general, it felt like we moved things forward where there was um, a desire to collaborate and there was more collaboration than, than um, competition and things like that. What we really need to, to, to begin to think about how we move even beyond gender and we start thinking about something larger than that. And that as we do that and we bring these larger perceptions into our workplaces, that I think it just shifts the lens ever so slightly so that when we're making little decisions, that we actually realize that we're making big decisions. Thank you for joining us. We hope today's program has inspired you, our listeners, with ideas for discovering how we can all build a prosperous, just, and sustainable civilization. This has been Ethical Business Building the Future, Discovering How. Get more from this podcast by sharing your comments, an article, or a link to something that's important to you. You can contact us on our website, www.ebbf.org. I'm Jean Parker for EBBF, and I thank you for listening. Thank you.